We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast episode. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis as we bring you a new podcast episode it is wednesday night december 28th as we are recording this in 2022 this is our last podcast episode for the calendar year so in this episode we'll say goodbye to 2022 sharing a lot of our listeners and followers thoughts some of their favorite moments of the 2022 calendar year a lot of them i have to do with the white Sox. A lot of them had to deal with Tony La Russa, uh, but there's some good, fun, personal stories as well that we'll share, and we'll share some of our favorite moments of 2022. There's some baseball news to talk about. The White Sox have a new ticketing sales model that we'll be making fun of. I mean, sharing with you. Uh, Gene Segura is off the board. We'll tell you where he's signing. Tommy LaStella has been DFA'd by the Giants. Could he be a possibility for the White Sox at second base? And we're also learning more about the White Sox hitting coaches and uh, thanks to Jib's excellent column uh, and even more reporting as well from the athletics. We have more insight, the three headed monster that's trying to help fix the White Sox offense. But Jim, we got some PSAs here uh, to start as far as the show as a reminder to our audience and for our fans. And the first one is hashtag 108 day live. This show is sold out. Again, it's Saturday night, January 7th at Reggie's, the South Loop of Chicago. We're very excited for this show. Both Jim and I will be there. We'll be hosting one panel. Uh, we'll be joined by our friends Herb Lawrence of CHGO and Lawrence Holmes of 670 Score. We might have another guest as well joining us as we'll talk about the Chicago White Sox and the offseason and venting some of our frustrations of what's going on in this off season and what we are going to be looking forward to in the 2023 season while having some drinks and our friends from the 108 will be hosting the second panel uh, of the night. It's always a fun time. Again, the show starts at 8 PM central time. So if you have tickets, remember that show is quickly approaching and you have tickets for it. So we can't wait to see you guys at Reggie's of the South loop. If you don't have tickets, Find a friend that does have tickets and try to be their plus one for that night uh, so you can make it to the show. I, I feel like I should say that I'm expected to be there, but I'm flying Southwest. Ooh. So <laughs> uh, I guess they're supposed to have full service by the weekend. So it looks like my flight should be okay, but it it's no longer as certain as it was uh, before uh, this past week. So prayers up. <laughs> Indeed. Prayers up. Big type. Just don't bring, don't, don't check your bag. Yeah. <laughs> right I'm now. staying for 40 Just... hours. I think I can do a one bag travel. So. <laughs> okay. That's good. Don't check your bag. And for those that are listening to this still stuck in Chicago or can't get back home because of the whole Southwest ordeal. I am so sorry that you're going through this and hopefully we can entertain you for the next few minutes here and hopefully you can get back home wherever home may be. Uh, as uh, I know Chicago is getting hit really hard, especially out in Midway with all the flight cancellations. 
the second PSA, and this is kind of spurred up here with some news coming out of Cincinnati. So as a reminder, uh, for those that didn't even that missed it this past summer, we had an awesome experience up in Minneapolis hosting a road trip party up there. The White Sox won three out of four games, so it was a really fun weekend for White Sox fans visiting Which Minneapolis. Which one did they lose? Jim is laughing because, of course, it's the meetup that the White Sox keep losing. Mm. They win every other game, not the meetup days. We, we got to fix this trend. So hopefully, fingers crossed, in 2023, the White Sox win the meetup. Uh, but again, the meetup for 2023 is going to be in Cincinnati. This series for the White Sox and Reds is over the weekend, starting on Friday, May 5th, going through Sunday, May 7th. And the what, what you need to start thinking about with this particular road trip is hotels. I just learned from someone who lives in the area, there is something called the Flying Pig Marathon. And it shares the same weekend when the White Sox are visiting Cincinnati. And some of the race course is going to be in downtown Cincinnati running around the baseball stadium. So naturally, that's going to be a conflict and just something to think about. If you're interested or if you do like running, they have registration open for 5K, 10K races. The marathon is actually on Sunday. And what you're going to be competing against is hotel rooms. So if you are interested in going to Cincinnati for this road trip, my recommendation right now is to book a hotel room in Cincinnati. There are hotel options on the Ohio side of the river. That's downtown Cincinnati. If you're looking for cheaper options, they're across the suspension bridge in Kentucky. I've been told it's very easy to get to great American ballpark uh, from that side as well. So don't worry too much in being the, on the Kentucky side of the river for Cincinnati, but you should book your hotel room because you're going to be competing with a lot of folks coming into Cincinnati for this flying pig marathon. 40,000 total participants for the race. I just looked that up to get an idea of the size and scale of the weekend. So imagine a lot of them are local, but yeah, there will be also a lot of people probably dropping in. 40,000? Over the course of the two days. Whew. Okay, that's a lot of people. So yes, book your hotel room like right now. And if you don't go, you can always cancel the hotel room like a week ahead. But yeah, definitely get your hotel room right now for Cincinnati. The second part is that single game tickets for the Reds are now on sale. So you can buy these tickets for the White Sox series right now if you go to Reds.com. And section 108 at Gary T. Ray Field is right behind the right field foul pole. In, Gary, in Great American Ballpark, it's behind the left field foul pole. So that's where we're going to be sitting, the majority of us, for us coming from Sox Machine, our friends from the 108. We're going to be sitting in section 108 at Great American Ballpark. Tickets right now, after you calculate the fees and taxes, are about $45 to $47 a person. We have tickets for the Friday and Saturday game. So to recap, with this particular PSA for Cincinnati, one, book your hotel room if you are going to Cincinnati for this road trip. Even if you're 50-50 right now, just book a hotel room so you're taken care of. Two, if you are for sure going, get your tickets on Reds.com for Friday and Saturday. The times for those games are going to be 6.40 p.m. Eastern time, so 5.40 p.m. Central time for the Friday and Saturday games between the White Sox and the Reds. All right, those are the PSAs. Anything else that I'm forgetting about with Cincinnati or hashtag 108 day, Jim? Uh, no, I think we are good. Just when talking about the the fact that they lose them all, I still think we should leave some uncertainty as to whether the meetup is actually on Friday or Saturday so the White Sox can't plan uh, their <laughs> loss so easily. <laughs> good point. I like I like that thinking. I, I, I do like that thinking. What we could do is we could have a Sox machine meetup Friday night, and then if they win that game, that it's not our fault, mm. but then the hashtag 108ing on Saturday because they block off one of the streets that has a bunch of bars right next to the stadium. So you could do a you could do a public outdoor bar crawl essentially before the White Sox Reds game instead of a tailgate. If they lose that game, then it's our friends 
over uh, from the 108. It's their fault on the why the White Sox don't win the meetup games. Fair enough. I like it. I like it. So again, get your stuff taken care of if you're going to Cincinnati on May 5th through the 7th and joining us for that road trip event. It was a blast in Minneapolis, so don't get FOMO. Or if you do get FOMO, get your things organized to get to Cincinnati for that weekend. All right, so let's talk some baseball. And uh, speaking of tickets, let's talk about the White Sox new ticketing model. So the White Sox haven't had big shifts in their ticketing model in the way that they sell tickets. It's been a few years since they have done it. And this just got public on Twitter earlier this week. And if you are colorblind, I apologize because you may not be able to see the amount of colors the White Sox are using. So for those that are on the podcast, you can't see this image, but we have it up in the YouTube version of the show as far as the highlight. Jim, all of the colors in the White Sox ticket map. And if you are colorblind, uh, I can provide as well in the podcast post (laughs) all of the descriptions of where seats are going to be. I don't know about you, Jim, but my favorite is now the premium outfield reserve. Uh, for the new section that the White Sox are selling tickets, uh, different than the premium bleachers. Don't get that confused. They are two different sections that guarantee rate field now. Premium outfield reserve and premium bleachers reserve. Yeah, premium bleachers made me laugh. Uh, also, upper corners only being one corner. Like upper corners <laughs> is the cheapest ticket, but they, they couldn't make them both. Uh, even though they say corners plural, upper corners only ca- accounts for one corner. So that's really just how much they're trying to uh, <laughs> split this baby over and over again. Yeah. This, when I first saw all these colors, I thought like this should inspire like their next city connect uniform It's just <laughs> all the colors. <laughs> uh, and also like, you know, when you talk about premium bleachers, I like that for 160 through 163, like whenever you see, uh, footage on on cameras or cutaways or you know from games when there's a, a activity going on in the park and fists and beers are flying, it tends to be in those left field bleachers. And I like that they chose like cherry blossom and lavender for uh, those seats, like to try to you know make them yeah you know, I guess you know maybe gentler, kinder, uh, softer. Uh, but yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, I would think those would be like the bright red danger zone. You know, do not enter. But instead, 108 gets the bright red. So, yes. Yes, it does. Next to the pea green of the Miller Lite landing. <laughs> so, I mean, that's like. <laughs> and then you have that, like, is it brown? The 110? Like, and like yes. the middle seats of like 111 being carved up. Like, it just. It, it feels like the White Sox are trying to, like, really sell tickets to StubHub with this? Like, it, it, does, it seems like they, they really want to sell tickets, but not to people. Yeah, so you are right. StubHub is heavily influencing this ticket map. So for those sections, it's sections 111, 112, 113, and sections 153, 152, 151. So down the foul lines, before you get to the corner, they're split up in, in, in three parts. And if you sit in rows one through 15, you're in the premium lower box. So you pay one price. If you sit in rows 16 to 25, you are in the lower box and you'll pay a different price than the lower reserved, which is in rows 26 and all the way to the very back. It's like, it looks like a skid mark down there. (laughs) Just like a brown streak going right through a section. Yeah, it's and it's those three sections. And I'm wondering, they have data on this. Like the White Sox marketed team, they have data in where the tickets are being bought and what people are willing to pay for through third-party sites like StubHub and SeatGeek where those seats are like the rows and seats that they are paying more money for through the third party sites than they are buying direct from the Chicago white Sox, which it was just what the section is one price. 
There are some sections behind home plate. Obviously, those are the premium seats that have different pricing tiers. But for the most part, throughout the entire stadium, it was the section had the same pricing. And looking at the map again, I apologize, Jim. The blues mashup here is the gradient behind home plate and the 500 level. The 500 level behind home plate also has three different pricing tiers. So if you want to sit closer to the field in 2023 at White Sox games, expect to pay more. And it's going to be interesting to see on how this impacts season ticket holders because there could be a chance, depending where your season tickets are, is that the person sitting in front of you is spending more money to be one row closer to the field at row 15 but because you're in row 16, you save money off of your ticket plan. Oh, man. I don't know how they decided that there's a difference between row 15 and row 16. And thus, there's going to be a difference in price. But, yeah, this is uh, this has gotten quite the reaction online for White Sox fans looking at the new ticket seating map and uh, being very confused and uh, the White Sox have not provided pricing yet for these colors. Uh, so I'm sure there's going to be a second wave of reactions. Well, I'm not sure about you, but like this reminds me of like, you know, a lot of other things I've researched when trying to like make a, you know, three figure purchase on something. It's something that, you know, does is not an impulse buy, something that takes a little bit of consideration. And that's just a lot of choices. Like that's, you know, once I start like comparing numbers and trying to like stack days and premium games and rows and such, like I I'm inclined to like X out and just like, I'll figure it out later. And then maybe I don't. Um, and, and I know the Nashville really wants a major league baseball team, but I really appreciate like, this makes me appreciate triple a baseball. I already do just because it's nice to like go to the ballpark, go to the box office, spend 10 bucks for a lawn seat. And then, if they're open seats, find them. Like, or if you know, if you want to see if it's like a fireworks day or something where you know it's going to be drawing, it's like uh, there's a section, there's a, a price for behind home plate, there's a price for down the lines, and then there's a price for the berm, and there, you know, then you have suites and like second level seats. But I mean, like lower bowl, like it just it's pretty much three colors, and that's all I need to decide. Like, do I want to pay twenty five bucks, seventeen bucks, or ten bucks? It's kind of like the decision, uh, and it makes it way more enjoyable. So, um, you know, while it'd be kind of cool to have a major league team here in Nashville, like I just enjoy how little thinking I have to do to go to a game, like parking's cheap, parking's free. If I feel like walking a bit, or if I, if I know I'm going to get there on the earlier side, um, you know, generally speaking, you know, I can drink there. I can drink at a bar before the game. <laughs> like, yeah, I can decide how much money to spend. It's uh, it's a whole lot simpler, the calculus of going to a minor league game. And this does, you know, when, when looking at it and just all the other trends of just club, uh, you know, different club sections, different like drink packages, different, um, you know, like the, the, the Miller light landing and all the clubs and, and VIP levels that the Cubs have just, it really is like, extracting as much money from people who show up as possible versus trying to get as many people in the park as possible. And I wonder when that's going to have diminishing returns or are they just making so much money from TV and everything else, casinos and whatnot, that there won't be uh, for a while. And then when it does show up, it's going to be pretty unpleasant. But, you know, if the money's always there, if they always like have the money from, however they broadcast games. And if that only gets more lucrative for them, then perhaps it is really a TV game we're looking at. And then, uh, you know, you, you go to a game like a couple times a year as like a luxury event. You know, the, the White Sox should have a fan event where the chief marketing officer, Brooks Boyer, could explain the new ticking model. If only they had such an event, Jim. Yeah, it, it goes along lines of just like, man, we'd like to make money, but not deal with our the people. <laughs> like... Yeah, we, we love owning a team, but we hate the people who follow it. If we anyway separate them now. OK, like, but yeah, if we could just make it more and more unpleasant. Yeah. Uh, so, again, I don't usually run across Brooks Boyer until like food day, which is going to be in March. So we'll see if the White Sox do explain what's behind the ticket model. I'm with you, Jim. I think it is about StubHub. And the question that I would have to the White Sox marketing team 
does StubHub and SeatGeek, like do the third party sites sell more tickets than you? Do, do fans buy more White Sox tickets through those sites than direct on WhiteSox.com, which is powered by Ticketmaster? Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with Ticketmaster, but uh, whether they have to change the way they operate a little bit because they're finally feeling heat. But yeah, the the thing I'm curious about though, you mentioned like down the line in the in the the skidmark seats, uh, you know, towards the foul pole that you mentioned like groups buy those tickets or or like yeah they sell more tickets, and I just see a lot of groups down there. Like that tends to be like where a lot of you know bigger families show up or uh, whether they're all wearing matching shirts or not. But it it does seem like those sell bigger blocks of tickets, and I'm wondering if like this is going to change the behavior of the way people buy tickets when you have a team that is not uh, drawing them. <laughs> like I think if they were going to, you know, be guaranteed to fill the lower bowl night in and night out, sure. Just, you know, go nuts uh, marking stuff up. But if their attendance is going to be taking a hit, uh, I, I wonder if trying to extract money from where they've sold seats uh, will force people to change where they sit. Are you going to have an usher issue right now? The ushers really don't do much a guarantee rate field like at all. Maybe they call security when they have the fist fights on the left field bleachers, but they don't do a whole lot. They premium bleachers. Yeah. The premium bleachers. I'm sorry. They stand at the top of the stairs. They don't stop anyone from going back into their seat. When balls in play, they walk down the steps. They look up the row and when the inning break is over, the half inning break is over, they walk right back up to the concourse and they just chill there until the next half inning. They really don't do anything. If you're going to be splitting these sections in three for some parts of the stadium, I'm wondering if ushers are just going to have to be more proactive or enforcing the rules. So a lot of White Sox fans instant reaction is, well, when the team's terrible, I'm going to buy a $5 ticket on StubHub and I'm just going to go sit in section 110 right by the net because nobody's there. Are the mm-hmm. ushers going to start enforcing the rules? Like that would hope be, not. that would be a concern. I'm with you too. I hope not as well. Yeah. And it, it could make a really, if they do, it could make a really odd TV dynamic, like watching Yankees games where mm-hmm. nobody is sitting behind home plate because people don't want to shell $400 a seat for a Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday evening game between like against the Tampa Bay Rays. But obviously they fill other parts of the stadium. And you see that when there's shots at right field that a fly ball going to the wall. But when you're watching each pitch, it looks like Yankee stadium is empty. That may also happen to guarantee Ray field. If people don't want to spend the extra cash to sit closer to the field, they rather save some money sit in that section, but they're sitting further away from the field. It could look emptier by the field. Yeah. Now Yankee stadium is terrible for that reason. Like I've been in the upper deck, uh, 95 degree day and everybody in the club levels, either not there or in the air conditioning section underneath the, in the, in the tunnels. So you just feel like, you know, you see the, the more spacious seats, uh, you know, down there being unoccupied while you're shoulder to shoulder with a whole bunch of other sweaty people, uh, in, in direct sunlight. And that's really annoying. And, and Yankee Sam was like the, it's the only, I think, unpleasant usher experience I had. The first time I went there, I showed up like an hour and a half early, uh, and just wanted to walk around the stadium and take some photos just for the site and such. And, uh, like, yeah, I was there an hour and 10 minutes early. Nobody's there. I start walking down the lower bowl and an usher yells at me to see my ticket. And I'm like, eh, I don't have a ticket for you know, level. I'm just here. I have my camera in my hand uh, and saying like, yeah, I just want to take some pictures. Like, well, you have a ticket? I'm like, I, yeah, I'm looking around like nobody else is here. Like <laughs> I basically said, like, I just want to take a couple of pictures. First time here. Like, uh, yeah, just you can watch me. <laughs> Like I'm going to be like, I'm literally the only person among the seats that early at the game. Like you can watch me walk down. It's going to take two minutes. And sure enough, like they watch me like a hawk and super unpleasant. Whereas at the nationals game, when, uh, when Obama was there and I wanted to go to the premium seats just to get a, a, a photo of him, like, you know, directly underneath like the suite, uh, the usher stopped me. I see a ticket. And I just, you know, it was between innings. And I just said, I just want to get a quick picture of Obama. He's right above there. It's just like, well, show me your camera on the way back. And I think he was just kind of there to see like, can you actually see him or are you trying something? And sure enough, I came back, show him the camera. He's like, Oh, that's cool. Thanks. And then that was it. But I mean, like, you know, 
the other usher you know, run-ins that I've had, very few of them have all been pleasant or defensible or just, you know, you can talk through it. Whereas Yankee Sam, yeah, just they defend the value of those seats, uh, you know, more than they concentrate on the average fan experience. And uh, I think you can do that at Yankee Stadium when you have that much many fans, uh, you know, and, and that many tourists right. and everything like that filling the park on a, on a steady basis. But for the White Sox, after the year they had is there, there will be some, uh, you know, if if the ushers are proactive and, and, and you know, more aggressive than they have been and, and, and making sure that uh, people adhere to the seats on their tickets, uh, you could have some fascinating fill-ins, uh, <laughs> just like some heat maps uh, that have some uh, some red and blue uh, where the uh, uh, where the action isn't. Yeah, it's again, it's going to be fascinating. And uh, yeah, let us know what you guys think about the new White Sox ticket model uh, for the upcoming season. We'll see how long this lasts. Again, we'll have the images posted up on SoxMachine.com for the podcast post to get your guys' reactions about the ticket model. It's already generated a lot of reaction, especially on social media. Uh, Other baseball news, breaking news before we started recording. Gene Segura, popular topic for White Sox fans hoping the White Sox would address second base and he was the best remaining free agent on the board for that position is signing with the Miami Marlins for two years, $17 million. So Gene Segura is off the board. He will not be an option for the White Sox at second base in 2023. Someone else that might be on the board. And this was reported by Robert Murray of fan sided Tommy Listella been designated for assignment by the San Francisco Giants. All right, Jim, you can't get Gene Segura, but could Tommy Listella be a possible target for the White Sox? On paper, uh, yes, just because when he was a free agent the last time, like he fit some of the needs the White Sox had, which was uh, at that time they were trying to lower their strikeout rates, and he was a very good contact hitter and a very good, you know, drew more walks than he struck out, uh, played a good second base and could play some other positions as well. So, like, it made sense at the time, and that was after the 2020 season, so 2021 when he uh, assigned with San Francisco. Uh, but since then, like, you know, well, part of it was in 2019, again, we, we, uh, a recurring theme, uh, the, the fluke home run total, Tommy LaStella and every other year, uh, home run totals, one, one, two, five, one, five, seven, two, uh, in 2019, 16 and 80 games. Slugged 486, uh, nearly 100 points more than his career slugging percentage, probably 100 points more if you take that year out of it. Uh, like that's, you know, that kind of colored uh, the thinking a little bit because the next year after that was the pandemic year. Uh, so, you know, he hit five and 55 games. That was okay. A little bit of a come down, but once the ball deadened, uh, he lost all his pop. Uh, but yeah, just he had two, he had both of his Achilles repaired. Uh, which is something I didn't know. I knew he was hurt, but he had two Achilles repaired and basically his entire year, kind of like Yasmani Grandal, battling a two-front war with knees and back. Still had problems with both legs, uh, lost his pop, lost his uh, ability to scare pitchers into walking him a little bit, uh, played pretty poor defense. He was nearly uh, a win uh, below replacement in only 60 games. So like on a minor league deal, if he was, you know, had to settle for one, sure. You know, why not? Uh, a non-roster invitee, like, yeah, no brainer, go for it. Uh, in, in case like the, he really was just battling, you know, had to get through that to be getting back to useful. But uh, I, I think right now, based on the profile and just the way the baseball is going and the way his body is going, that you pretty much have to think he's done or assume that. And then, uh, you know, in, unless you just are a team that is willing to sign for one year because you have nobody and you have no aspirations. But with the White Sox, uh, yeah, if every dollar counts, I wouldn't want to see many dollars going to Tommy LaStella above the league minimum. There are some to suggest that he can't play second base anymore. He's not much a defender, so just have him as your DH. 
no. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, no, no, yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> no, that was not a counterpoint. Yes. No. Yes. That goes, that, that follows up with the folks uh, penciling in Nick magical as the Chicago Cubs DH. Like you can do better than that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's like uh, in Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball for Super Nintendo when you could do the home run derby with three levels of power hitters. And you had the, you know, the, the, the fake players who only hit two homers a year. That would be like a Nick Madrigal, Tommy LaStella home run derby. Uh, that would not be fun. I mean, <laughs> sure, I'm, it might be fun playing a video game to see just the yeah. level of difficulty of hitting home runs with those guys. But yeah, I, I guess I could see a minor league deal with Tommy LaStella, invite him to Spreed and training. And if he still wants to try to make it happen as far as his baseball career, Charlotte could maybe do wonders for him. The opposite of pitchers, right? Yeah. Can't sign any pitchers worth the damn to fill out the uh, rotation yeah. down there. <laughs> exactly. But you can sign some hitters. Uh, they'll they'll look better. We'll we'll see. You could probably do like a split deal, like you know, like a case where like if he's not on the roster by you know May first or May fifteenth, then he can you know choose to opt out and go somewhere else. Um, you know, I I could be uh, underestimating just anybody who's desperate for somebody who can play second base, but yeah, if his ability to play second base is in doubt, there's really nowhere for him. So it would seem like the NRI route is more likely than it would be for, you know, a lot of players who are, are coming off just one bad year. Like the year before that was unimpressive, but it was playable. It was like a major league worthy. You call it second division in the old days, like that kind of year, like a second division starter or like a second division bench player. But you know, rosterable last year was uh, not rosterable. No. So it's back to debating Romy Gonzalez and Lenin Sosa. Yay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, put our conversation in the last episode because Gene Segura is now with the Miami Marlins. Two years, 17 million. Yes. Is that what uh, the deal yep. was? Yeah. Which is fine. Like I was the biggest Segura fan in and of itself, because like he's you know, right-handed, he is a little bit of a random event generator. So if you're looking for like uh, the White Sox to play like a more buttoned-down form of baseball, that's you know a little less frustrating to watch. Like sometimes he contributes to that, but I would have been fine paying that price. But we'll see if they have any other ideas. Yeah. Besides Romy, we're Gonzalez. out on Tommy Lestella though. So put Sox yes. machine down. Unless it's an NRI. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. You get. If I, if he's part of the who's who among uh, non-roster invitees to spring training, uh, my my annual beloved celebrated post uh, before spring training, uh, that'd be that'd be fine. The topic that you wrote about that I was really intrigued by in your latest column on SoxMachine.com, and I don't know if you and James Fegan are texting one another before you post these stories because they're like in sync right now. Uh, as far as topics, but you both wrote about the White Sox new hitting coaches and and you came from a perspective of that. I, I, that I think you make a good point is that the White Sox hitting coach is Jose Castro. We know more about Mike Tosar, who is the major league coordinator all around coach. We know more about Chris Johnson, who is the assistant hitting coach because of his time with the Charlotte Knights the last couple of years. We know very little about Jose Castro. So, Jim, what did you learn going into this column and doing your research about the new White Sox hitting coach? Well, yeah, for the second time in, in two weeks, uh, yeah, James wrote a post uh, either after me or before me, within within like 12 hours of uh, a topic I was working on. Like last time was Andrew Benintendi when I tried to map out where his fly balls went uh, in guaranteed right field if they were all hit there. And then he wrote a post saying about like how he's working on getting some lift uh, with some coaches in Nashville. And that was great, uh, uh, a great supplement uh, for that post. This time around, like I was, I'd been towing, you know, I'd been researching Jose Castro, looking up articles, uh, The Athletic, The Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, you know, other sources trying to figure out like, has anything been written about him? Because like when it comes to White Sox assistant coaches, like, can you remember anything Greg Sparks did aside from like have like an uh, eyeball related celebration with like uh, Jose Abreu? And do you remember what Harold Baines did and uh, Howie Clark and Scott Coolball? Like they're never mentioned as uh, people who are, you know, independently contributing ideas or have a philosophy. They're usually mentioned 
usually it's like Frank Menachino or Todd Steverson, but sometimes they'll say, I've been working with Todd Steverson and Sparks, or I've been working with Menachino and Howie, but like it never comes with, I've been working with Howie or Howie said to me, it's always, you know, which, which makes sense because it's an assistant. And like, you know, most of the time you're not going to have like wildly divergent ideas because uh, you don't want to flood, uh, you know, you know, flood too many hitters minds with ideas that might be in conflict with each other. So yeah, it would make sense that they're sharing one message, but you know, Jose Castro has been with the Braves for eight years in the assistant role underneath uh, Kevin Seitzer and Kevin Seitzer is a fairly prominent hitting coach. Like he was with the Royals and the Blue Jays. And I believe there's two stops before the Braves. So like he was a known hitting coach. Uh, he's somebody who talks like, you know, he's, he's, you know, media friendly and, and will say a lot. And the Braves have a lot of success stories in which Kevin Seitzer, you know, gets to talk about how, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. is doing and Ozzy Albies and, uh, you know, everybody they bring up, Austin Riley, just you know, all these hitters that turn into, uh, MVP candidates. Um, but like Jose Castro, like, you know, given that he's been in that secondary role, like he's only mentioned really with, Seitzer, if he's mentioned at all. And so it's kind of the same thing. Like we don't exactly know a whole lot about his philosophy. So I I'd had this like post half written and some links stored about like what I might say, but it's not really a compelling post say, like, we don't know anything about this guy. Like <laughs> I wanted a little bit more meat on it. Uh, and then the Miami Herald uh, posted a story about how, like how the White Sox have so many uh, Cuban born coaches uh, who live in the Miami area Uh like four of them, uh, including uh, Tozar and Eddie Rodriguez, who's now going to be the third base coach um, on Pedro Gafal's staff. And then so, okay, that gives me a little bit. So I started adding to that. And then James Feegan comes through with a, an article talking about this whole um, Miami situation, how the uh, hitting coaches, Tozar, uh, Castro, and Johnson are all able to get together and start working with guys earlier because they're all geographically uh, you know, pretty close together in some uh White Sox players and prospects live there already, including Oscar Colas and Romy Gonzalez. So they're already working together. And like, finally, and, and a few quotes from Castro talking about like what he learned from the Braves and like, okay, fine. You know, here we go. Now I can link to that, add some quotes. Now it's an actual post, but it does seem like, you know, my, my, my read of it was that uh, they're trying to make the White Sox less feel based. And, you know, we've seen that before, like uh, with Aloy Jimenez saying that like, he just wants to know how hard somebody throws and, you know, how often he, or what he throws and how hard he throws it. And, like, that's okay. But then you get an idea of like why the White Sox struggle to hit a starter the first time through. It's because they're spending three innings feeling them out. It's like, well, maybe you could do a little bit more damage early on against a guy who you know has stuff, or especially like a starter they've never seen before. Like, you know, maybe there is a way to try to glean some information to be able to better anticipate what that 96 miles per hour looks like. And so uh, Castro said that, yeah, they use that information. Johnson also elaborated saying like, uh, fastball rise. We're going to try to communicate just fastball movement better. Cause that seems to have been a problem. <laughs> like, thank you. Uh, I just wonder when it comes to, uh, this arrangement. And as we talked about this being a very important season, a very high leverage off season, if like, they're trying to use this arrangement to like make up for three years of bad coaching or, uh, negligent coaching, or just, uh, a method that did not work. You know, maybe it worked in 2020 and 2021 to a certain extent. Uh, but by 2022, it seemed like you could figure them out. And they kept running in the same problems over and over again. And uh, see ball hit ball stopped uh, working because uh, they did not seem to either be seeing it or they uh, took too long to see it to actually hit it enough. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, that, that last point is crucial. I mean, they hit... They had a high team batting average, but they hit a lot of singles. Mm -hmm. And I think you could, you could find a balanced approach to allowing your hitters to have feel for the game, but having the advanced scouting reports and providing that data to the hitters. This is the pitcher that's on the mound. These are the guys that we think are going to be available out of the bullpen. Here are the tablets that are in the dugout. You could rewatch your swings throughout the game and you could watch more film on this guy when you are in the game. Here are the areas to expect the pitches. I think we'll have the White Sox better prepared. And this is something that Rick Hahn has also addressed and a big factor in hiring Pedro Grafal and bringing in bench coach Charlie Montoyo is 
the expectation the White Sox will be better prepared for their opponents going into 2023 than they were the last couple of years under Tony La Russa. And that's not a shot, a direct shot, I should say, at La Russa and La Russa's coaching staff. It's a difference in philosophy. We'll see if this difference in philosophy works out well for the White Sox, but for us at Sox Machine, we are really data heavy and we use Baseball Savant a lot. I think I made a very convincing argument in our last episode of why Romy Gonzalez should not be handed the starting gig at second base. But if you had this trifecta now of hitting coaches with Johnson and Castro and Tosar working with someone like Romy Gonzalez, and I think James Fegan reported that Romy Gonzalez is working with them three times a week, like looking at his whip rate against right-handers in the fastball at 45%, he needs to cut that down by 20%. How do you do that? These are some of the things that I'm interested in learning when spring training gets started and with the world baseball classic and so many of the white Sox veterans playing for their respective countries in March for this world baseball classic during white Sox spring training games, Jim, I think we're going to get an opportunity to see some of these younger hitters and see if we can notice a change in hit swing, at least, at least swing playing uh, during the games at Glendale against fastballs, breaking stuff doesn't do much. We know that during spring training, but I'm hoping that there's immediate success because this is a more data approach for the White Sox hitting coaches, even though these guys are not like new school, you know, they're not mm -hmm. our age, maybe except for Chris Johnson, but Jose Castro and Mike Tosar, they've been around the block when it comes to coaching in, in baseball. It is refreshing. We just need to see results early for the White yeah. Sox to take hold for everybody that's in that clubhouse because if these new approaches don't take hold right away, will they ever is the mm -hmm. question that I have. Yeah. And hitting coaches always sound good before they're actually results. Like I remember Todd Steverson talking about selective aggression and saying like, yeah, that makes sense. You want to make sure that you don't let hittable pitches and strikes go, uh, you know, without, uh, you know, serious uh, preparation or readiness to swing. Like, yeah. And then Frank Menachino, uh, same thing. But once the, uh, if bad performances start piling up and coaches try to talk their way out of it or around it or, try not to throw players in the bus, remain supportive. That's when you can step into holes that you never dig out of. Like as we saw with Menachino, uh, yeah, his quotes happen to be memorable because he drops the F-bomb so much that it's very easy uh, to remember what he said. And, you know, should he get another job, I would probably reconsider like, yeah, you know, maybe, um, you know, ease up on the, uh, or, or, or save your curses until, uh, uh, you know, you're heading the division by 10 games, or if your offense is scoring uh, five and a half runs a game, because uh, when you're uh, behind, it just makes you look like, uh, uh, or, or this quotes are more vivid and stick out and are very apt to be used against him in the court of fan law. <laughs> we never use those quotes against him, Jim. Come on. Yeah. Well, I felt bad. You know, the Andrew Vaughn one about F the home run. It's just like, I knew what he was saying. Like, that's not what he, he wasn't saying. Home runs are useless. He's talking about Andrew Vaughn hitting 300 and being like, that's good enough for now. And, and uh, you know, based on where he was in development and that just got used against him. But yeah, they, but uh, as things pile up and you mentioned it not being like a, a shot against LaRusso, it kind of is. And it's also a shot against the front office and shot against Jerry Reinsdorf saying like, if preparation was this big a problem where everybody's harping on it, well, I should have solved it sooner. So. If they, they had reason, they had reasons to, that they couldn't solve it, but that reflects uh, badly upward and they can't say that. But this is new age type of stuff. And, and again, this is a question that you have, I have had for nine seasons doing this podcast. Can old dogs learn new tricks? Because boy, there's a lot of old dogs within the White Sox front office. And it sounds like at least on the hitting side, bringing in fresh perspectives, new faces into the coaching staff. The White Sox are going to try and we'll see if it delivers results. Fingers crossed. I'm hopeful that it does. But with some hitters, these guys, Castro, Johnson, Atosar, they got some work to do from now through spring training until opening day down in Houston against the Astros. Coming up next, we're going to say goodbye to the 2022 calendar year by sharing our listeners and followers favorite moments of this past year. Next on the Sox Machine Podcast.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right. So now it's time to say goodbye to 2022, the calendar year. We've we've said good riddance to the 2022 season. And we were we shared what we were thankful for during our Thanksgiving episode of 2022. But now the Chicago White Sox and us and everyone around the world will be officially saying goodbye to 2022 this upcoming weekend with New Year's Eve arriving. And then after New Year's, we'll be turning the page for us at Sox Machine with the podcast. We go from our ninth season podcasting together into a new milestone, our 10th season podcasting together, which is still a bit crazy. So what I did was go on Twitter, Jim and asked our listeners and followers their favorite moments of this past year. So I have some uh, I have some pretty funny tweets that I'm going to share here. And uh, the, the first one comes from Brian Adams. And Brian's uh, memorable moment of 2022 as a White Sox fan was spending 4th of July watching the Twins turn an 8-5 triple play on the White Sox. Why? Because if you're going to endure a miserable season, you might as well have something to laugh at. You can tell Brian is one of us at Sox Machine. <laughs> yep. And actually, that was my favorite post to write all year uh, was when I analyzed just exactly you know how that happened. And I went through, I watched it play, I don't know, like 25 times looking at uh, the actions of Makata and Angle and looking at like the dugout and the on-deck circle and the fans and the crowd figuring out who's looking where, uh, when, you know, kind of Zapruder filming it. And uh, I'm pleased to report, because I just looked this up now, it was the most read post on Sox Machine this year, which is very rewarding because uh, normally like the most read post is like, you know, sometimes it's draft coverage. Sometimes it's like trade rumors that just catch on either like, you know, they get aggregated on Reddit or something like that. Just a, a hot post that catches Google News at the right time. And it's not really substantial. It's like maybe 10 paragraphs of a trade rumor. But this time, like a, a post that I put a, a lot of uh, sacrifice, a lot of brain cells for, um, paid off for the uh, number one uh, most read post of 2022. So I'm happy to see that. Going down the list, Jim, another Jim, at JimK60 on Twitter, seeing the White Sox sweep the San Francisco Giants in San Francisco. There was a lot of White Sox fans that went out to San Francisco. That was probably one of the more surprising series outcomes for the White Sox mm -hmm. in 2022. I was not expecting them to sweep the Giants. Yeah, that's when I learned just how many problems the Giants had. Like I'd read about it, I saw their, uh, you know, where they were in the standings. I follow a couple of Giants writers on Twitter, and it sounded troubled. But like I just didn't know if it's like first world problems for a team that's usually so successful. Like, uh, you know, oh, they can't possibly you know be that bad. They they just might not know what bad looks like right now. And then we saw that weekend, and it's like, oh yeah, that's a that's a flawed team. <laughs> and uh, it was it was slightly reassuring. Yeah, spend all that money to go out in San Francisco, but you get to watch the White Sox sweep. That is money 
Well spent. So a lot, I know a lot of people that went out to San Francisco that weekend and they had a blast. So I could definitely see that being very memorable. Uh, going down the list, uh, Northwest of Northwest Sox being first in line for the Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert bobblehead with my wife who suggested we bring umbrellas because it might rain, which I vetoed. It poured. My wife was right as usual, but we got him. We got the bobblehead. And uh, I have the bobblehead in the bookcase here. Oh, go, go, go. He's getting it. It's part of all this junk that I get as a season ticket holder. <laughs> but yes. So this is what Jim waited in the pouring rain for was the moment back in uh, the 2020 season where Luis Roberts stole the fly ball away. Eloy Jimenez. So yes. So I got that one. I didn't have to wait in the rain, but you know, <laughs> poor Northwest by Northwest had to. This is actually one of the few bobbleheads that I wanted, and uh, I'm going to keep this one. If you like bobbleheads, I might be putting some up for sale or giving them away. So if you need bobbleheads, let me know so I can make the end of 2022 for you. Oh, man. Going down the list. Uh, so one of our friends out of the UK, uh, at WSOX UK, Tim Anderson, home run, sticking it to the Yankees on Sunday night baseball was probably the baseball highlight for me. We did a, a watch party for that game back in May. One of our first watch mm -hmm. parties. That was a very fun time. And they, that felt like from such a different season. Uh, you know, with, with uh, Tim Anderson, the Josh Donaldson thing, and Yasmani Grandal stepping up for him to, you know, support him on the field and make Donaldson have to, like, explain the joke afterwards and, you know, it kind of look like an ass. And then, you know, they're booing Tim Anderson at Yankee Stadium, even though Yankees fans, well, maybe that, that was before Yankees fans turned on Josh Donaldson. Like, maybe if the game were in September versus, uh, you know, the first couple months of the season, like, maybe they would have been cheering Tim Anderson <laughs> as much as, uh, uh, or, or as much as they were Donaldson, but uh, it just felt like such a different season because, you know, Anderson got hurt after that and really wasn't himself. And Grandal was a uh, non-factor for the entire year. And uh, all the uplifting, like, it also felt like a different clubhouse, a different like Tony La Russa type situation because Tony La Russa stepped up hard for Anderson too. And like, oh, that's, you know, a little bit extreme. And or I guess, you know, he really went hard, hard about, you know, you know, into the whole like angle of, you know, uh, Donaldson's intent, uh, where, you know, Anderson and Grandal wouldn't go, but just like, it felt like, Oh, he's really stepping up and defending Anderson. This is, you know, they still have each other's backs and then it all fell apart. And, and like by the end of the year, you look back and they're like, Oh yeah, that was 2022. Not last year with the field of dreams game. Like that felt like way more in line with the year before. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. The white Sox won that double header that day. Because uh, Johnny Cueto was awesome at the beginning part. And that was, I think that was the same game Michael Kopech was awesome. Oh, man. Yeah. When White Sox baseball Different was fun. <laughs> when it was fun. Uh, so speaking of fun, uh, Tim Andergoat on Twitter. Gavin Sheets got a game-tying double off Justin Verlander. Another very fun series back in, uh, was that August? I think so. Uh, they, uh, they got to Verlander. Yeah, they got to Verlander a couple times. Like both times they faced him, they did okay. They did. They did. The first time, yeah, that was that was the la that was the later one because the first time they knocked him out after three innings, I think, or four innings. Yeah, this was the uh, Verlander versus Cease game. Yeah, and that's the one where they left him in too long, or like yeah, they just figured, oh, he'll get through it, and then Sheets. Yeah, that was that. I think that was August. That was the later one. Yeah, and then yeah, Yohan Makata had a great series. That was his last great series of the season. So yeah, memories. Uh, going down the list, Dave, when I sat in the section 108 and the next day I got free tickets to the game and access to the stadium club. Thanks to our friends, my sock summer and Burley cat. That's pretty awesome memory. And then, uh, will being in our seats to see cease get one out away from throwing a no hitter against the Minnesota twins. And that is one of my favorite memories being in the stadium because I really thought for a moment being there for Carlos Rodon's no hitter, almost perfect game when there's only like 6,000 of us because of COVID restrictions being in a packed house. Like that would have been an awesome moment. If Luis arise is not single up the middle, but that was just a awesome personal moment for Dylan Cease, there was also another time in the season where beating the Minnesota Twins in that fashion that 
are the White Sox going to go on a run here? But I think that really boosted CeCe's uh, Cy Young appeal, and that's why he finished second this year. I still stand by my post saying it was correct to pitch to Arias. I know that was the arguments after the game, but I still like seeing him go head to head against the best, trying to beat him versus dancing around him. Cause I think like it wasn't Gary, I think it was Kyle Garlic who was up next on deck. Uh, and and yeah. if uh, Cease pitches around him and Garlic gets a hit, how bad does that look? <laughs> so just, uh, you know, so I, I look at it that way in terms of like, if you look at the poor outcomes, which one's more defensible? I think going at Arias. So uh, I like the comp, uh, competitive spirit he showed. I like that he tried, he got the crowd into it, uh, you know, waving his arms, pumping them up. Like that was great entertainment. That was great uh, White Sox fan interaction. And it's just a shame there wasn't more of that. Because even like in the year before, like even with uh, guys banged up, like you still had like, I'm thinking like the the, the Brian Goodwin walk-off and the bat flip. Like there were tons of those games from surprising guys. Uh, you know, maybe maybe not fan favorites, not fixtures, but they were there and then, you know, the the crowd, they were, they were giving the crowd something to work with. And you could feel that throughout the season this year. Like it was so rare that the crowd had something to respond to. And that was definitely, I think the, the most remarkable one of them all was especially the eighth inning, him going back to the dugout and, and, and telling fans like he wasn't, didn't care about jinxes and, you know, believe in jinxes. So it's like, yeah, it's uh it, it was cool to see him just embrace it and uh, didn't quite get the payoff everybody hoped for, but we'll remember it. Yes. And those fans that got to see him closer will have to pay more for their tickets in uh, 2023 <laughs> uh, <laughs> coming full circle. Uh, Sean, I got to go to my first White Sox home game in eight years with my wife and he got to meet me as well. That was a great experience. And I was so glad that you're able to make it to Chicago, Sean, uh, eight years away from seeing a white Sox home game is a very long time. I wish the season was better uh, and the outcome was better for you, but it was great that you were able to make it out to Chicago and hopefully you're not a stranger and you're able to come out again soon. And we don't see you every eight years. Uh, our friend Nick over at Good Guys Talk Back and Locked on White Sox. The comeback win against Oakland in early September. Scored five runs to the ninth. Seemed like things were starting to change for the better. And they did. I remember getting really hyped about that. Watching the game in bed because it's getting close to midnight. And El- Elvis Andrews had one heck of a series uh, during that weekend. That was one of the more fun moments as well during the season and it gave me hope that maybe the white Sox can uh at least catch one of the wild card teams and uh, obviously that did not come to fruition but that oakland series was fun yeah i just remember left-handed closer being like the reason why i wasn't as excited <laughs> it's because uh it, it took some help to uh to have that comeback but yeah it was uh certainly appreciated i just at that point i just started looking for like why won't this stick because nothing has and that was the reason I came to. And then the the final one we got from Bobby for the White Sox. His favorite moment is when Tony La Russa left. Uh, as the fan only paid for one game, and it was to walk the warning track with my son and all his teammates on the Oak Park Youth Baseball at Softball Night, which is awesome. If you never had an opportunity to walk on the field for any type of event, uh, I highly recommend doing it before a White Sox game. They even have a dog parade if they ever bring back uh, dog night at, at White Sox games. And his personal was he spent two weeks in Greece during August with the entire family and didn't have to watch or care about the White Sox. What a great time that was for Bobby in 2022. So uh, those were the best moments that we got from Twitter. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine or you can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. So those were some of the, my favorite ones that I saw. So for you, Jim, how are you saying goodbye to 2022? Uh, I, I guess I was looking back at it, trying to figure out like what I did. And given that it was my first full year of fatherhood, um, it's really like I did nothing. Like in terms of like nothing to report, like all my, you know, all my energy was focused on like learning how to keep a kid alive. Like I, and everything is, is judged by his, week to week progress and month to month progress. And like you're channeling all your, uh, yeah, 
energy and making the year count into him, especially since like we don't have family here. Like we don't have grandparents like easily able to hand a kid over. So like date nights were few and far between uh, trips out, you know, you know, uh, beyond a couple hours were few and far between. So I looked at my, you know, uh, Instagram just to see like, what did I do? And like nothing really, really just, I went to Minnesota. That was fun. Like that was my one, one trip out and that was a great time uh, for the meetup. Uh, but yeah, this year was just in, it was great. It was cool. Very rewarding certainly, but just in terms of like, uh, if you don't want to hear about like somebody's kid, uh, I had nothing for you. So that's kind of how I look at it. Um, so hopefully this year will be, you know, keeping that going, but also just, you know, being able to, now that he's, you know, one and, and, you know, doing more and more interactive, uh, you know, feel more comfortable leaving him, you know, with babysitters with, you know, grandparents and such like, um, eh, probably get to do more now and, and, and add a little bit more for, uh, uh, for people who don't care about, uh, uh, kids so much. So I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. 2023 is going to be a, a, a big year for us. Uh, especially for me personally, I'm getting married yep. uh, next summer. Uh, a lot of people are coming to Chicago. I planned, obviously, I knew years in advance that Sabre was going to have their big convention in Chicago the same weekend. So a lot of baseball stuff going on. And I obviously knew the St. Louis Cardinals were going to be in town uh, for that weekend as well. Uh, and it's going to be the last uh, weekend before the All-Star break. Uh, and the Major League Baseball draft is also going to be that weekend as well. So great planning on my part. <laughs> Good. As far as picking Looking that for your weekend. draft coverage, yeah. I might take a hit this year. <laughs> uh, well, that's what we got the Future Sox guys for. I'm sure James Fox and Mike Rakin, and they're going to do an awesome job uh, filling in for me when we get closer to that weekend and, and closer to the, the draft day. Uh, but one thing that I want to say is thank you to everyone that listens to this podcast. Uh, I was waiting to see where we were going to be as far as total downloads for this year. And we hit a new milestone for the amount of downloads that we got for this season. And to say that in 2022, we had more downloads for our podcast than we did in 2021 when the White Sox were very mediocre we were very angry at them. Maybe we're still a little angry at them for how they handle their business and how the way they handle their things in 2022 is amazing. And for those that have been with us since the very beginning, huge thank you for continuing to stick with us uh, after nine seasons so far as we enter our 10th season. For everybody new, welcome. And we hope that you enjoy the experience where in the upcoming episodes, we'll be sharing 2023 New Year's resolutions. We're going to be sharing some of the things uh, that we've already shared with our Patreon supporters, some of our plans that we have for the upcoming year to get you guys excited as well for what we're going to be bringing to our coverage of the Chicago White Sox and the minor league affiliates and the upcoming Major League Baseball draft. We're really pumped about it. Uh, can't wait to share that with you guys in, in the upcoming episodes of the podcast. But a huge thank you at the end of this calendar year to see a milestone we've never hit before uh, with the amount of downloads and to be more than 10% of downloads from 2021 for a pretty down year or dour year, I should say, uh, is an awesome feeling. So thank you guys so much. I guess this podcast is fueled by anger and disappointment. <laughs> and we couldn't be less angry and disappointed to share that with you. Does that make sense? Sure. It's what fuels us. It's what keeps us <laughs> yes. going, Jim. There have been so many White Sox yeah. podcasts that have started <laughs> and ended during our tenure. We are the longest running White Sox podcast, and it is that anger that fuels us to keep I, going. I think that should be your intro. Instead, like I'm Josh Nelson alongside me, Jim Margulis, you say, I'm angry. He's disappointed. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to the Sox Machine <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking that's a t-shirt, you know, instead of the, the battle between Jason Benetti and Steve Stone, we can sell two different t-shirts, which mood fits you better as a White Sox fan, angry or disappointed. And then if you, if you sew the shirts in half, uh, like some people did, like that would actually probably make the most sense. Like why not both <laughs> the twist, the twist cone of shirts. 
But again, with New Year's Eve coming up, we hope that you have a wonderful and happy New Year's Eve. Whatever you do, I'm going to be staying in, inviting friends over, have a game night, watch some of the college football playoff games, keeping it really chill. Are, are you having big plans for New Year's Eve, Jim? To continue my theme of 2022, no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to assume. Yeah. <laughs> Not this year. Uh, Hopefully, like I said, 2023 will probably probably be the year of like, going back out and Excellent. making bigger plans. Excellent. But for those that are, have big plans for New Year's Eve, we hope that you have a blast this upcoming weekend. Jim and I will be back after New Year's Day to bring you a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. So enjoy your new New Year's Eve parties. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. We do put up video highlights of the podcast on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. We have more than 900 subscribers, which is awesome. Thank you to everyone that has recently subscribed to the YouTube channel. Again, our milestone is 1,000, so share it with your friends and family who are White Sox fans, or if they hate the White Sox as much as we do sometimes, they can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine, and you can follow us on Twitter as long as that continues to last, at Sox Machine, and again, follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and want more, you can help support us at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, they get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag in our new Sox Machine store, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.